This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Hello, everybody. Very warm welcome. Very warm welcome to you. And especially warm welcome if this is your first night at Sangha Night. Um, yeah. Um, so my name is Vidanya, and I'm going to kick off with this first talk on our new theme. Uh, so we do a theme that runs for 12 weeks normally on, on New Sangha Night. So I'm going to kick off. And our theme is very loud. Um, our, can you hear me? Our theme... Um, for this series of Sanganites is going to be the wheel, the spiral, and the goal. So we're going to look at the wheel of life, the traditional wheel of life, which describes our uh, normal existential situation. And we're going to be looking at the spiral path which leads from the wheel um, out of this situation of sort of never-ending repetition uh, of old patterns and, uh, where instead we sort of get to better and then better and then better places. Um, and then the goal, the goal of enlightenment and the various ways that we can look at that, though we can't actually really understand it unless we've been there, but the ways we can symbolize that and look at that. So that's going to be our theme. And tonight I'm going to kick off by um, talking about the wheel of life, the traditional Buddhist wheel of life. And if I can get the... Um, projector to work. I will. So the first thing about the wheel of life is that it is a wheel, yes. And the thing about wheels is that you go round and round and round and round and you think you're moving but you don't get anywhere. Um, and so the idea that um, life as it is usually lived is a bit like a wheel, uh, it's not confined to Buddhism by any means. Um, in the West we've got this traditional image of the wheel of fortune. Can you see that? So the Wheel of Fortune, it's a tarot card, uh, but it's quite a common sort of theme, uh, even in the West, this idea that, yeah, you sort of go up and then you think you're on top of the world and then you're not. Um, So the Wheel of Fortune, the idea that you don't really get very far, uh, or if you do, it gets undone again. so the Buddhist wheel of life goes into a lot more detail than that. Um, and as it represents the ultimate vicious circle. So it represents the way that unless we do something about it, the way we act in the present is determined by what happened in the past. So it's determined by our conditioning in all sorts of ways. That's what, that's what determines the way we act, the person we think we are, and so on. So we act in particular ways that We've got used to our old patterns. We reenact our old patterns. And the way we act in the present creates our future. So if we're not careful, we've got a, um, we're creating a circle where the past creates the present, creates the future, and so on, and so on, and so on. We haven't got any choices. Uh, life is, as it were, lived for us. Yeah, so we're not living our lives, our lives, we are, we're not living our lives, our lives are living us, or something like that. Um, so unless we, yeah, unless we do something about it. Um, that's one way of looking at it, and I mean that is what the Wheel of Life is about. But I'm going to introduce another analogy, another way of looking at it, which is that um, the Wheel of Life is a bit like a set of instructions or a player's guide to a really complicated computer game, okay? And in this really complicated computer game, it's one of those games where you're in a huge rambling castle with dungeons and great halls, fabulous great halls, and all sorts of different spaces connected by tunnels and whatnot. And there are all, in, these, in these spaces, there's all sorts of games you can play, so you can you can get loads of points, and you can find treasure, and you can defeat enemies, and do all sorts of things, and think this is wonderful, but actually, it's not really about any of that. Um, 
it's not really about any of that. You're not really getting anywhere because none of that is the point because really the castle is just a huge prison. This wheel of life is just a huge prison um, designed to distract us from the real game which only starts when we get outside it. It's just the game doesn't start till we get off the wheel. We could get loads of points, loads of treasure, defeat loads of enemies, and um, whenever we do it, we'll just be taken away. We'll, just, we'll end up back in some dingy dungeon and it'll all be taken away from us. And all our points will just go. All our treasure will just go. Um, because we're not playing the real game, the game that matters. Uh, you don't actually get any real scores at all in, while you're in the Wheel of Life because you're in the prison. Uh, as I say, you might pick up all sorts of treasures and jewels, but that's not what it's about. Um, the only real point is to find a way out of the castle, to find a way out of the wheel. But the good news is there is a way out. There is, a, hey, there is a way out. There is a way out. There is a secret door. There is a secret door. I'm sorry, it's a bit gothic. Uh, there's, a, there's a secret door very well hidden in one of the great halls of this castle um, that leads into another dimension entirely. Um, this is what we've got to find. This is what we, we've got to find the right room where the door is. We've got to learn to recognize the door, uh, which most people never even notice. And then we've got to know how to open it. And then we can get out of the wheel, onto the spiral path, into this other dimension entirely, where instead of going round and round, things get better and better. And the Wheel of Life is a sort of instruction, to, a sort of set of instructions to tell us how to get in the right chamber, how to spot the door, and then how to open the door once we've found it. Yeah, so it's, um, it tells us how the game works. Um, it contains a map of the castle, and it describes the various places we might find ourselves in, and it tells us how to find the chamber where the secret door is hidden. And finally, it goes a step further and tells us in a sort of secret pictorial code, um, which, which you can't interpret unless you know, know what it means. It tells us how to open the door once we're in the right chamber. So if we know about the Wheel of Life and we know how to interpret the code, we can find our way out of the castle. If not, we're just going to go round and round and round forever thinking we're getting somewhere, but never really getting anywhere, wandering around in a huge prison. So the Wheel of Life is a pretty sophisticated symbol. It's got a lot in it, um, and it's going to take us a few weeks to unpack and interpret it. And that's what we're going to be doing in quite a few of our future talks. Uh, <clears throat> what I'm going to do tonight is just to give us a quick overview, a quick guided tour of the Wheel of Life, uh, talking briefly about each part and how the different parts uh, sort of overview what they mean and how they fit together, but not going into too much detail. So here is a picture of the Wheel of Life done by a Western artist, Arlika. And it might, it's incredible, well, the first thing you'll notice is, well, that's really complicated. So it's, uh, we'll look at it bit by bit. It's very, very complicated. Um, So, yeah, it's a wheel, it's spinning around. But um, there's another version, equally complicated. You probably can't see that. But let's go, let's home in right on the very middle of the wheel. Ta-da! So in the very middle of our wheel, we've got three animals. We've got a pig, a cock, a rather sort of stylized cock, and a snake. Um, and these three animals stand for greed, hatred, and delusion. If I've got it right, the cock is not what we would think. It's not, uh, there's a lot of different cultural conventions here. The, the cock represents greed, the snake hatred, and the pig delusion. Okay, so not maybe what you'd naturally think. Um, and these three animals, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, are what makes the whole thing go round. Um, they are what's powering the whole thing. So the root of the problem 
the root of, yeah, they're sort of like on a treadmill, making the whole thing go around. The root of the problem is delusion, the pig, that we don't see things as they really are. Um, we're deluded. And because of this delusion, we grasp at all sorts of things that are not actually uh, going to give us any real satisfaction. So we're running on this treadmill of craving, um, always wanting something, trying to catch a carrot that can't be caught, always wanting something, whether it be money, stuff, gadgets, pleasure, status, the exact right partner, whatever it may be, always wanting something, not able to enjoy just what is. And because we're always running on this treadmill, we're constantly distracted from our real task of growing spiritually. Um, growing spiritually by, um, by this trying to grab happiness from out of things where it cannot be grasped. Grasping after what can't give us uh, happiness. So that's greed, that's the cock. Um, and it's, as I say, it's usually called greed, but this is actually a rather extreme way of talking about it. Um, it's really about the way we try to fill our dissatisfaction by grasping after outer things um, that can't really satisfy us. So yeah, um, it's, it, it's, um, it's, it's sort of neuro what we call neurotic craving. It's not healthy desire, it's craving, it's craving for things that can't actually satisfy. So from delusion comes greed, and from delusion also comes hatred, the, the pig, the, uh, sorry, the snake. Um, so because of our delusion, we run again on a treadmill of fear, anxiety, resentment, ill will, blaming, when we're afraid that we won't get what we want, that we won't get what we want, or that we will get what we don't want. And we're constantly running away from that. Um, so our delusion also gives rise to this pointless aversion of running away from stuff that actually is, can't be avoided very often. We can't, in this life, we're never going to get everything we want, and we're always going to get some things we don't want. So constantly running away from them is not serving any particular purpose. So it's aversion, what's usually called hatred, but that's a bit simplified and rather extreme. It's our whole mass of aversion, our anxiety and resentment and blaming and ill will. Uh, that can take much more subtle forms than overt hatred. Um, so that's what, drives, that's what drives the wheel. The wheels are powered by these three animals, by greed, hatred, and delusion, symbolized by those three animals. And then on, on the same slide, you can see that outside of our three animals, uh, we've got another, another circle. And on the... Um, on the left-hand side of the circle, we've got beings against a light background going upwards. Uh, upwards from not very happy states, not very refined states, to happier and happier and more and more refined states. I noticed that the very, this is a Tibetan picture, so on the very top is a lama wearing his pandit's hat, his Buddhist scholar's hat. Um, but yes, moving upwards uh, to, to higher, better, more joyful states against a bright background. And on the other side, we've got beings going in the opposite direction, uh, beings going down, down, down to states of greater and greater suffering. Um, so this, this next circle of the wheel, what it's getting at is the law of karma. It's getting at the law of karma. Um, we learn, don't we, we hear on our very first sort of evening, perhaps, on an introductory course, that one of the things that Buddhism tells us is that everything changes all the time, and that includes us. So um, there's no way <coughs> that we can ever stay the same. There's no way that we can ever stay the same. We're always either moving upwards or falling downwards. Um, we're either becoming more expansive, nobler, happier, <coughs> or else we're becoming more cramped with more ugly mental states, more unhappy. Um, and 
Of course, according to the law of karma, one of the main things that determines which way we're moving is how we act, whether we act from skillful motivations or unskillful motivations. Um, so the law of karma, we hear about this, don't we, on our introductory course. The law of karma tells us that the way we act now creates the sort of person we become in the future. We've got loads and loads of different strands in our being. The ones that we act on get stronger. The ones that we don't act on fade away. So the way we act now sort of creates the self we will become in the future. Um, we could become... If we act in positive ways, kind, generous, etc., etc., we become larger, more expansive beings. If we act in negative ways, we, we gradually become more cramped, uh, more cut off, uh, experiencing more negative mental states. <clears throat> so we create the person we've become by the way we act now. And not only that, the world we experience in the future will to a large extent be uh, determined by our mental states. So if we create a larger, nobler, more happy person, well, we'll experience the world in that way. If we create a darker, more cramped person, we'll experience more suffering, more unhappiness. We'll experience a darker world, like the people on the, the, the downward side of our, um, of our uh, circle. So, yeah, usually people talk about karma, the law of karma, in conjunction with rebirth. That's often the way in, 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 in Buddhism, in uh, terms of what happens in future lives. But we don't have to believe in rebirth to realize that the law of karma just is a fact. It just works. Um, we're always recreating ourselves by the choices we make. Um, we can make ourselves into brighter people living in a brighter world, or we can make ourselves into darker people living in a darker world according to the strands of our being that we act on, put energy behind, identify with. So, yeah, so the way we act determines the sort of world we live in. We can live in a bright world, happy world, beautiful world, even a heaven world, uh, or we can live in an unhappy, dark world even a hell world. And that isn't any sort of reward or punishment or judgment. It's just the inevitable workings of the inescapable law of karma. So um, the next circle of the wheel, out beyond this representation of karma, describes some of the different sorts of worlds we can create for ourselves, some of the different places we can inhabit. Um, if you like, some of the halls we can come across in our castle. Uh, and they're usually called the, 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 the six realms. So um, the six realms, six different places we can be because of the sort of person that we are, if you like. Um, six different ways we might experience the world around us. In traditional Buddhism, um, these are often portrayed as actual places we would be reborn. Um, but um, you don't have to see them like that. We don't have to take them literally because they're really states of mind, states of being. And you can, we probably all experience quite a few of them. And you could go out in Sheffield tomorrow and you could probably find people from every single one, people living in every single one of these realms. If you get on a bus and look at people's faces, you can go, oh, oh yeah, that one, oh, that one, oh, that one. Um, because this is just part of human experience. We all live some of the time in some of these realms. So the first of our realms, this is sort of seven, eight o'clock, something like that. The first of our realms is the animal realm, the realm of animals. And uh, in this version, it looks, a, it looks pretty idyllic. It looks a bit like a really idyllic David Attenborough documentary. <laughs> But I had, another, I had another slide, which I can't show you because it didn't show up too well, but in that one, these animals are uh, being herded by people. They're being whipped. They're being used as beasts of burden. Beasts of burden. They're being slaughtered. That's the domestic animals, and the wild ones are killing each other or being killed by each other. So 
that's the other side of the animal realm. It's not such a wonderful place, after all, actually, to be an animal. And animals are not going to gain enlightenment. They're not going to get off the wheel. Um, there's so much in the moment uh, just living biologically. And uh, they haven't got a chance of getting anywhere beyond that. And because they're not particularly learning from the past or thinking ahead very much, they're absolutely at the mercy of anyone that does like us lot. Um, we can control them. They're not in control of their destiny. So if we um, spend a lot of our time um, basically focusing on um, physical pleasures, food, comfort, sex, etc., um, then we may be spending our time in the animal realm. If we're, if we're not... Um, if we don't have any higher principles that we use to guide our life, we may be spending, our, if, if we're just looking for physical satisfaction, we may be spending our time in the animal realm. And in each of the realms, there's a Buddha. So, yes, in each of the realms, there's a Buddha. And the Buddha is offering what beings need in that realm. He's offering um, what will get you out of that realm to somewhere better. Uh, he's sort of pointing the way out of that particular chamber into a better chamber of the wheel of life. And it's not particularly obvious from this slide, but what the Buddha is offering in the animal realm is a book. So he's offering a book. He's offering the life of the intellect. He's offering culture. He's offering uh, a higher concepts. So what the animals need to get out of their realm is that ability to handle concepts, very maligned, oh my god, very maligned, surely Buddhism is all about getting away from concepts, not actually. Uh, we need concepts, without concepts we are, at, we are at the mercy of events. So yeah, culture, the ability to think, uh, concepts, that's what the Buddha is offering in the, uh, in the animal realm. So if we tend to live a lot of the time in the animal realm, there's a message there for us, um, which is that we need to learn to think, think beyond the present moment, defer gratification, plan, uh, learn from the past, think forward to the future, become more cultured, more refined, find pleasure in things other than... Um, food, drink, and sex, and sleep, and that sort of thing. Uh, physical well-being. So that's the animal realm. That's the animal realm. One of the places that we probably all spend a bit of time, and quite nice it can be, but we're not going to get enlightened from it. Oops, wrong one. Oh, yes, I'll go back. So the next realm is the hell realm. And I haven't got a picture of that because I didn't want to frighten you. <laughs> So in the hell realm, um, it's a realm of extreme suffering. It's a realm of very negative mental states. And this is not a hell that you're sent to as a punishment by some god. Um, it's a warning, actually. It's a warning that if we act in certain ways, um, if we act in certain ways that sort of cultivate certain sort of states of mind, um, that cut us off from other people, that cut us off from what is best in ourselves, uh, we can end up in living in a very dark world indeed. Um, a very painful world. There are places that we really don't want to go. There are places that we really don't want to go. Um, there, is, there are ways of being that are hellish. Um, so the... If we, if we did look at the hell realm, it's got people being sort of stuffed into tubs of water and, I don't know, being trampled on by things and burnt and things like that. It's a typical, you know, typical hell, really. <laughs> but what it's, getting at, what it's getting at is it's possible, it's possible to live somewhere that's really not what we want, and we've got to watch out for that. Well, we've got, really got to watch out for that. Um, being a little bit afraid of that might actually be quite a sort of, um, a, yeah, it might be a, a, a good antidote to some ways of being, actually. It could lead to something not very nice. But as always, there's a Buddha in the hell realm. 
And this Buddha is offering balm, B-A-L-M, balm, something to soothe. So the beings in the hell realm, the hell realm is a place of intense suffering. It's so intense that that's it. That's all you can focus on is your suffering. Um, so the Buddha is offering balm, um, uh, something to mitigate the suffering. And, you know, we've probably all spent time in hell realms. I know I have. We've probably all spent time in hell realms. And our job then is just to find a way out of that suffering, to just get out of that suffering, because we're not going to do anything while we're in that suffering state. We need to find out ways to soothe our suffering, not increase it. And that might be other people. It might be all sorts of things, but we need to find a way out. So that's two of our realms, two of what are called the lower realms. We've had the animal realm and the hell realm. And the third realm is called the realm of the hungry ghosts. And these are, this is a representation of hungry ghosts. So hungry ghosts are portrayed as beings with huge stomachs representing huge appetites and tiny necks so that they can't actually eat very much. And what they do eat turns either, various different representations, either turns to swords that stick through their throat, or in this representation, it turns to fire. So what this is, it's, the, it, it's a representation. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a representation of, um, of um, endless craving that can never be satisfied. Endless craving. that be, It's the realm of craving for things that can't bring satisfaction, but which actually cause harm, actually turn to fire in our mouths or turn to, uh, turn, turn to swords in our throat. Uh, this is the realm of the addict. This is the realm of addiction. The realm of addictive craving. Always wanting more, whether it's food, drink, drugs, sex, but wanting more of things that actually harm us rather than help us. So obviously the most obvious example of living in the hungry ghost realm is the person who's addicted to some harmful drug, um, which they, which they crave, but which actually causes harm and hurt when they get it. Um, but probably most of us have got a bit of hungry ghost in us, actually. Probably most of us have. Um, because just about all of us go in for what Sangharachita calls neurotic craving. So neurotic craving is craving for desire that, for things that don't actually benefit us. Um, something that cannot satisfy, craving for something that cannot satisfy the real need. So, for example, if our life feels empty and meaningless, um, or we don't feel good about ourselves, or we don't, um, we feel unloved, then a load of junk food's not going to help. Uh, another bottle of whiskey's not going to help. Um, even leisure shopping's not going to help. Um, chocolate's not going to help. Um, because none of those things actually is, gonna, is, is satisfying the need that, uh, that is there. None of us is going to actually make us feel better about ourselves, make other people um, respect us more or whatever. Cakes, burgers, crisps, they're not going to work. They're just not going to work. Um, and just about all of us go in for neurotic craving at some time or another, um, at least some of the time. Neurotic craving is what makes the consumer society go round. It's what makes the consumer society work. There are whole populations of people desperately wanting, wanting, wanting things that can never bring real happiness, um, that just distract us from a sense that there's something missing in our lives which we have to look for somewhere else. So praetors, oh, they're called praetors. They're hungry ghosts or praetors is the other word for them. Um, praetors have a sense of inner emptiness. That's what the big belly is about. Um, Instead, I'll show you a few more praetors. They're very popular praetors. There are lots of pictures of them. Hmm. There's some more praetors. Um, there's another one. So, um, yeah, praetors have a sense of inner emptiness. And in our world, we often try to fill that by consuming all sorts of things. 
We try to consume all sorts of things. So we live in a consumer society where we gobble, gobble, gobble to try and fill our sense of emptiness. Um, all sorts of stuff to fill that sense. So there are loads of praetors in our modern world. There are loads and loads of praetors. In fact, there's even an entire industry devoted to um, turning beings into praetors. It's called the advertising industry. Um, and just about all of us have our own little addictions. Um, and plenty of people who live a, what's a quite normal life actually live a life of addiction um, uh, to consumption, possessions. And many of them are, will quite happily refer to themselves as consumers. Yeah. <clears throat> so this wanting, this wanting is powering the wheel of life. The wheel of life is spinning really, really fast at the moment because lots and lots of people are powering away at it. Um, so again, there's a Buddha. There's a Buddha in the, in the, in the Prater realm, the realm of the hungry ghosts. And um, maybe he's one. He's not very obvious. Again, this is a Prater whose food turns to fire. What the Buddha in the, in the hungry ghost realm gives is food that really satisfies, food that really satisfies. So something to fill this inner emptiness. And of course, that's going to be something spiritual. That's going to be something that uh, really fills the, 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 the sort of sense of emptiness and lack of meaning. So that's our three lower realms. Um, and then we move on to the realm of the Asuras. So the realm, I couldn't find a really good picture of the realm of the Asuras, but there's an Asura for you. Um, the realm of the Asuras or Titans. Um, the Asuras are big, fierce, and ugly. Um, and their life is a constant struggle for power. So the world of the Asuras is the world of big egos. Um, the world of competition, the world of envy, uh, aggression, and a constant struggle to get your own way, to get up above the others. There are a lot of Asuras in big business, in politics, on both sides, uh, in trade unions, any situation that can be dominated by strong, unself-critical people who like power and thrive on conflict, that's where you're going to find Asuras. Um, and being an Asura is all about winning. It's all about winning. Um, to be a successful Asura, you have to keep on winning. The trouble is, you can't. You cannot keep on winning. Um, eventually, every Asura loses an election, goes broke, is forced to retire, um, ends up in court, uh, or something happens to knock them off their pedestal. And they become vulnerable, their pride gets battered, and they fall to another lower world. And because they've fallen from quite a high state, Asuras are often really highly valued people. Um, and because of their big ego and pride, when they find themselves in a humble state where they don't get much respect and nobody notices them anymore, they really suffer. I was minded of this, this is a long while ago now, but I was really minded of this with the fall of Margaret Thatcher, those of, me, those of us who have been around a while. Margaret Thatcher was a classic Asura. And there was a wonderful picture of her when her cabinet turned against her and, out, and voted her out of office. Now, somebody had snapped this picture of this Asura in the back seat of the car with tears streaming down her face. The fall of an Asura. So, again, in the world of the Asuras, um, there's a Buddha. And the Buddha in this realm holds a sword. He holds a sword. Um, and it's the sword of wisdom. It's the sword of wisdom. Because for the Asura, the way to move on is going to be through wisdom. There's a connection between uh, wisdom and this Asura state, rather like um, 
Asherahs have an affinity with wisdom rather than, say, compassion. They see life as this sort of battle cutting through. They've got this cutting through quality. Um, they battle. So they can, instead of battling with others, they can battle with falsehood and irrelevance and fogginess and break through through wisdom. So if we're a bit of an Asherah, um, reflecting on the real nature of things, cutting through delusion and irrelevance might be the way that we, that we move on. So moving on from the Asuras, um, I don't think I've got a very good slide of this. Oh, yeah, there was, it's a really bad slide of this. But um, Moving on from the Asuras, we move into what's called the God realm, the realm of the Devas. And there are really lots of different deva realms at different levels. Um, but in our, uh, most of the illustrations of the Wheel of Life, what you get is a sort of park-like paradise with nice buildings. Um, gorgeous palaces, park-like gardens. People enjoying all sorts of heavenly pleasures. They seem to be having a swim here. Um, and they're playing music. It's all very jolly. Um, Climbing trees? I don't know. Um, yes, it's, this is not a particularly good picture, but I couldn't find a clear one. Okay. Um, so they themselves are shown as being refined and beautiful with perfectly beautiful bodies, um, even bodies made of light. So the God realm is a realm of refined pleasure. It actually goes from sort of fairly refined pleasure to really refined pleasure at different, at different levels. Um, so at the lower levels, they enjoy sensory pleasure like we do. Um, the higher levels, they're enjoying the delights of meditative states. Um, so this is a bit like a Christ, going to a Christian heaven, and it's somewhere you can go. Um, but it, it's not permanent. That's the trouble. That's the difference between this and a Christian heaven. Eventually, the gods use up all the merit that got them there, and then they fall. Uh, they fall to a lower, coarser level of existence. And because they're so refined, so un unused to dealing with, uh, with any sort of anything that's gross or any suffering, they're going to really suffer. They're going to be like the, the princess who couldn't sleep because of the pee under the mattress. You know, it's all, it's all going to be... They haven't got the robustness uh, of somebody who comes from a different realm, so they're really going to suffer when they fall. And, well, you know, if we live in a rich, relatively rich country, relatively free country like Britain, if we've got enough money, if we're physically healthy, mentally, emotionally, um, then we can live in a God realm for a while. And people do. Um, at least we can live in the lower regions of the God, God realms, the sort of suburbs of heaven, if you like. Um, <laughs> Maybe some celebs live there for a while, with some well-off people who devote themselves to just having a good time, fairly healthy, good time, splitting their time between their yacht, got it in, and their ski, ski resorts. Uh, we have a little joke that we try and get a word in. To, uh. There's a word that you have to get into your talk, you see. So the yacht was the word. <laughs> Splitting their time between their yacht and their ski resorts, uh, they, you know, they may, um, maybe some musicians and artists can spend a lot of time in a slightly higher part of the of the god realm, and maybe some Buddhists who have a really good meditation practice can stay some of the time in those good pleasant states and enjoy the fruits of the god realm, and there is nothing wrong with that. Um, um, but the. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with spending some of our time there, but the, the catch is that um, in this realm of, realm of pleasure, there's very little suffering. The, the, the states don't last. They're never permanent, and when they end, the devas suffer, the, the gods suffer. So the goal, the ultimate goal, is not to live permanently in the god realm, strange as that may seem. Um, in fact, it's very, very difficult. In fact, it's impossible to get enlightened from the God realm. It's possible, impossible to escape the wheel from the God realm. We need a certain amount of uh, suffering. 
Um, so we need, uh, we need challenge to progress. There's no challenge in a God realm. Um, we need to learn to deal with suffering to progress. There's a certain amount of dukkha needed to progress. There's no dukkha in the God realm. Um, so yeah, the, the realm is not to uh, spend all our time in the God realm. We need something a little bit more robust. Um, so yeah, so the best place... I'll say a bit about the, 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 the Buddha, actually. So there's a Buddha in the God realm, and the Buddha is playing... The Buddha's the one with the um, big... Uh, the big aura around him. And he is playing an instrument. So music, music is the way to communicate with the gods. So the gods are into refined pleasure. And I think it's music that can sort of give the gods the wisdom to, 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 to not be imprisoned by the god realm. Because music is, music is, in, is a, a sort of an illustration of impermanence. Um, music is always changing. Music is impermanent. It's beautiful, but it passes and it's gone and it might never have been. So there's a sort of element of wisdom that's communicated to the gods by music. And the gods, of course, you can only communicate with them by something that's beautiful and refined. So you could say that the way the, the, the Buddha communicates to, uh, to the gods in our realm, in our world, as well as in the god realm, if you like, is through the arts. Um, but that's so the, the goal is not to live permanently into the God realm it's to, to live in the human realm so here's the human realm lots of human-y things going on um, usually in the, I think you can see maybe somebody giving birth in there there's usually somebody giving birth in the human realm there's usually somebody dying people cooperating, people doing this and that. So this is not uh, a realm of intense suffering. It's the perfect place to get enlightened. It's not a realm of intense suffering, like the hell realm. It's not a, a, a world of constant pleasure, because it involves challenges, and we need challenges to grow. It involves some suffering, some dukkha, and we can't get far without some suffering to grow either. So there's that right mixture of pleasure and, uh, and, and pain. And in the human world, we need to strive and we need to make effort. It's not a world of con intense competition like the world of the Asuras. Um, a healthy human existence involves cooperation with others rather than always competing with others. Um, it's a realm in which we take responsibility, uh, unlike the realm of the animals, for example. And we also allow others to take responsibility, uh, not resenting authority. It's a realm in which there is intellect and foresight, culture, again unlike the animals. So it's the perfect door, the perfect uh, realm for finding the door that leads right out of the wheel onto the spiral, where instead of going round and round in circles, never getting anywhere, we go, um, things get better and better, we get more and more free, there's more and more joy. So that's a quick tour of the six realms uh, of the wheel of life. And then finally, in the, in the outer level, and I don't think you're going to even be able to see this, but in the outer level of our wheel of life, there's a ring of hieroglyphs, uh, a ring of code, uh, apparently quite enigmatic pictures. They're not quite random. There's uh, some people in a boat there's um, a blind man going along with a stick. There's a monkey in a tree. There's a house. There's somebody with an arrow in their eye. There's a woman kissing a man or a man kissing a woman. There's a woman bringing a man a drink. There's somebody picking fruit from a tree, etc., etc. Uh, all sorts of sort of hieroglyphs, if you like. Uh, a form of writing, a bit like Egyptian hieroglyphics and in fact they contain the instructions we need uh, to find our door and to use it but written in this sort of code they explain how the wheel works um, in detail and if we know how to interpret them we can they can be the instruction we need for finding the hidden door 
and even the secret password we need to, to have to open it. Um, but we'll be looking at that in future talks. So sorry. <laughs> For tonight, I'm going to be a bit less ambitious. I'm not going to talk about how we get off the wheel. I'm going to talk about how we um, how we stop, how we slow it down, how we slow it down, uh, how we can stop it whirling around so fast that we're all constantly dizzy and stumbling about, rather than, so we can't find our way in any sort of sensible manner. Um, and to do this, I'd like to backtrack to our three animals at the centre of our wheel. The pig, the cock, and the snake. Um, delusion, greed, and hatred. Um, delusion and deluded attraction, deluded aversion. And these drive the wheel, but they're not, they're not caused by some bad guy out there. Um, these are our greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, the wheel is, in fact, a treadmill. Okay? The wheel is a treadmill, and we are the ones who are running and making it spin. Um, we are running to catch the carrot that can't be caught and to uh, get away from the things that we can't get away from, the inevitable loss and dissatisfaction that comes with living in this imperfect world. So the way we slow the wheel down is to stop running so hard on our treadmill. Um, that's how we slow these, these pets of ours down. Um, so how do we do that? Well, you know, the Dharma's a lot about this. Um, we talk about the threefold path of ethics, meditation, and wisdom. First of all, we slow the wheel down by practicing ethics, by practicing the precepts. Cultivating generosity and being content with a simpler life, the second and third precept, um, tranquilize the snake of craving, selfish craving. Um, stop us running so hard to catch the carrot that can't be caught. Um, cultivating kindness and making a principle not to cause harm or to wish harm to other beings, um, that quietens the snake of ill will. Sorry, it was the, the cock. I should have said it quietens the cock, the first one. Um, cultivating honesty, the fourth precept, um, quietens the pig of delusion. I quite like that, the pig of delusion. Um, because when we start speaking the truth, having respect for the truth in our speech, um, we also start seeing the truth more clearly because we stop being so taken in by our own lies, our own delusions that we speak. So that's the first way. We, we, we slow the wheel down by our practice of ethics. And we also slow the wheel down by uh, the practice of meditation. So um, I remember uh, somebody who used to work at this Buddhist center, Vajratara, saying that when we practice the metta bhavana, we put our hand right into the hub of the wheel of life and stop it. Um, so when we practice the metta bhavana, we put our hub right into the wheel of life and we grab the snake and stop it. Um, sounds a bit dangerous. Um, we, but we grab the snake of ill will. So doing the metabhavana is like putting a spike into the spokes of the wheel of life. Um, and then doing the mindfulness of breathing um, that we'll do later, and generally cultivating mindfulness, allows us to be in that famous gap that we talk about in the introductory class, so that we're not letting our attraction and aversion always push us around we can actually make some decisions of our own. We can slow the whole thing down and make different creative choices. So we slow the wheel down by ethics, we slow the wheel down by meditation, and then we slow the wheel down thirdly by cultivating a bit of wisdom, by reflecting on some of the basic Buddhist wisdom teachings and taking them to heart. So when we accept the first noble truth that um, unsatisfactoriness, dissatisfaction, maybe even some suffering is just an inevitable part 
of uh, life. Um, in this imperfect world, then we can stop blaming others. We can stop blaming others for our, uh, for our dukkha, for our dissatisfaction. Stop blaming others when things aren't just the way we want them to be, knowing that that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. We're not always going to get what we want. We are sometimes going to get what we not, don't want. Um, so when we stop blaming others, we starve the snake of food, because uh, that's very often its food. Uh, by stop not blaming others for our own dukkha. And when we reflect on the Lakshanas, you probably remember the Lakshanas from the uh, first uh, part, from the introductory course. Um, the marks of all conditioned things. Um, we can make a dent in the delusion that causes our pointless craving and our pointless aversion. So in a world where everything is transient, as the Lakshanas tell us, everything is passing, everything is just radically transient, nothing ever stays the same, everything is constantly changing. And in a world where nothing has independent, permanent existence, no, none of the things we see around us exists separately from what's around us. Um, if we really take that on board, then our idea that this thing or that thing will really make me happy, starts to seem a little bit silly. We see that, if we really take these wisdom teachings on board, we see that happiness comes from inside, the message we give on our very first night of the introductory class. Happiness comes from inside. We all remember that story about the king and the Buddha, where the king says, I'm a happier man than you, because he's got all this stuff and all this entertainment, and it turns out that actually the Buddha is the happy one. And all the king is doing is distracting himself from his unhappiness because the, king has got, because the Buddha has got real inner happiness. So if we see that, if we see that happiness comes from inside, not from outer things, we can get off that treadmill. We can get off the treadmill that's powering the wheel around and look for happiness where it can really be found. So that's where we start by, that's where we can start, by slowing the wheel down so that we're not so dizzy, we're just stumbling around, falling into things. Um, and then we can start looking for the way out. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the talks to come, the way out of the wheel of life onto the spiral path. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you.